welcome to Additive Insight, live from the Additive Manufacturing Users Group Conference floor. And me and Sam are actually sat on the floor because there's nowhere else to sit where there's quiet because it's quite a bustling conference. <laughs> uh, I'm Laura Griffiths, I'm the Deputy Group Editor at TCT Magazine, and I am joined by... Sam Davis, Assistant Editor of TCT Magazine. So we're just, um, this is the fourth day that we've been at AMOG and we're on our way home soon. So we just wanted to kind of do a bit of a rundown of the things we've seen this week. There's been some really, really cool keynotes um, every single day and a few launches, some that we didn't really expect to see. Um, so to start with, we also have a few of our own announcements too, don't we? Sam, do you want to kick things off with the first one? Yes. So the, um, the first one is... Um, that our TCT Hall of Fame nominees will be announced and voting is now open. Um, Jim, our VP of Content Strategy and Partnerships, made the announcement uh, yesterday, I think, um, and also basically said to everyone, go and apply for the other, how many awards do we have, 14, 15? Yep. Um, they're also open now. Um, but the Hall of Fame nominees um, are as follows. Uh, Phil Dickens, um Researcher, consultant, educator, Todd Grimm, obviously a writer, speaker, marketer, does everything, um, did a very good keynote this week, which we'll come on to in a bit, as did Professor Gideon Levy, um, an AM consultant, researcher and advisor, Graham Tromans, uh, a veteran application specialist and educator, I think has been nominated every year, and the last one, um, who I think might have been nominated before, I can't remember, but is... Terry Wallers, um, another consultant, author, and speaker. Um, one of those will be inducted um, later this year uh, on the middle night of the TCT show. Um, and voting is available via www.tctawards.com. And we have other awards news as well this week. So we've also launched a partnership with Women in 3D Printing, which if you don't know, is um, a great organisation of uh, female leaders in the industry, basically profiling um, all the achievements that women are making in the industry every single week. And we've partnered with them to launch an award, an award called the Women in 3D Printing Innovator Award. So that's going to basically go to um, one individual, a same night, so the middle of the TCT show this year, um, just to highlight um, achievements and innovation by women in the industry. The short is going to be created by the Women in 3D Printing Ambassadors. So there's a global network of women that host um, various groups around the world um, and it's going to be um, decided by um, that group of women first and then go out to a public vote later this year, I think around Rapid. Um, so yes, there'll be more news on that in, in the coming weeks as we as we head to that event. We've also had another announcement as well this week for your inboxes. Yes, uh, that is... Um, we won't talk too much about that. That's... Um, just a partnership with American Makes um, and basically they're going to use our platform to um, speak about you know, some, some of the work that they're doing and um, I think there's also as part of that agreement they'll have um, a few bits in the magazine um, every so often as well mm-hmm. so um, yeah so lots more to come for our North American publication there. So now on to the keynotes this week. As I said earlier, there's been some amazing keynote presentations. There, there always is yeah. at AMUG. It's always a really great way to start your day. But we'll go, we'll work backwards. So we've actually just come out of a, a keynote presentation um, with uh, Brian McLean from Leica. Always such an amazing presentation to watch. And we got to see a few little clips of their new film as well, Missing Link, which is really exciting. That's out next week and everyone's got to go see it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Sam, you actually did a lot of work um, just looking into what these guys are doing last year. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So as I think we've mentioned before on 
the podcast and it's becoming a bit like the BMW, so um, <laughs> we won't talk about it for a while after this, I promise. But um, I had a phone call with Brian uh, last summer, um, shortly after he did a similar but not quite the same keynote at Rapid. Um, and we talked about basically the history up until the new film, which obviously, as Laura mentioned, comes out next week, um, and how they basically, through each film, um, progressed, changed printers, changed workflows, changed softwares, and from the first one, I think it's 20,000 3D printed faces to Missing Link, um, which is 106,000. And as he was um, discussing today, it's kind of every slight change of the facial movement, if you can imagine, as you're speaking, as you're smelling, whatever, um, a little bit of your face changes with each um, moment that passes. Um, they 3D print a new face for every one of those different expressions and he, in his presentation he showed a box of about I think it was about 24 different faces yeah. and he said that's about a second of, of film and they're all printed um, um, yeah he, he basically took us through the process so he mentioned that they don't have to sand um, the parts as they come off the printer or at least 90, 90% of the faces that were printed didn't require sanding they just kind of um, cleaned the support material off, sprayed it with um, either crystal clear or dull solutions, um, and they were, they were pretty much ready to go. I think what was most interesting in that presentation, I mean, apart from the fact that they, they've got such a great use of, of colour over at Lycra and the fact that they've managed to hack into um, software to, to really get the most out of this technology, but for me it was more the fact that they're actually a genuine um, production user of mm-hmm. additive manufacturing and, you know, so many people this week that we spoke to that are saying, oh, it's 3D printing, it's really going to go towards production, you know, these things need to happen to get towards production, but these people are actually doing it right now and using this for end-use applications. And like you said, some of these parts are coming off the printer, mm-hmm. don't even need any sanding, and, and straight away they've just been put into use. So I, I thought that was really, really amazing. And just some more of the numbers there, I mean, things like 106,000 different faces. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like over 250,000 parts just in this last film mm-hmm. altogether. And the fact that apparently it takes an average animator on, on 40 hours a week, they can produce just four seconds of footage in that week. That is just insane. But it, it does sound like it's a, a labour of love to, to do this. And yeah. the films look absolutely beautiful. I saw another panel session that he was in yesterday um, and it was all about hyper-realism. Um, there were two guys in the audience who were from kind of architecture modeling company and they said um i can't remember quite how they put it to the question but his answer was basically we ignore validation software so they've worked with um magic and they've put it through and he said it's come up with all kinds of red flags and so you know normally you wouldn't print that part because it said it couldn't be done or it'd be impossible to print either it was gonna um you know it's gonna break it's gonna fall apart but he said they just ignore it they go ahead they they print it and it most of the time it, it works and if it doesn't he said not much goes wrong you know you might get a bit of a spider of resin but you just clean it up and you go again and i thought that was quite an interesting thing and he also mentioned um at the end i think of the talk that they have um, they collect all the data and they've been doing this for 10 years or so each part of the different serial number they they track things like the temperature who handled it um, and you mentioned up in Portland, Oregon, where they're based, that humidity has had a big mm-hmm. impact over the years. So it's a very rainy place um, and that can change the colours. Um, so there's a lot a lot of stuff that goes into it kind of behind the scenes. Obviously, the, the faces are amazing, but when you think about 
the production at scale and also the kind of automation that's going around it as well. It's really quite an impressive use case. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that they, they use, um, they go around the software um, when they first started using it. You mentioned again yesterday that the software was very limited. It's got better, um, but they've gone and they've used Cuttlefish from Fraunhofer to, to get around it and the results are pretty amazing mm-hmm. if you want to find out um, any more about Leica and what they're doing with 3D printing I'd recommend searching for Sam's famous faces piece um, on tctmagazine.com to read a little bit more and just, just check out some of the numbers there because just the, the amount that they've progressed and the amount of faces that they use in each film is just absolutely to use what Brian kept saying crazy and um, <laughs> if nothing else the pictures are really nice yes they, they have very <laughs> nice pictures too um, so the next one um, so one thing about AMUG is every year they have this um, innovative showcase and Todd Grimm kind of does sort of a fireside chat scenario where he interviews um, a really influential person in the industry um, and you went along to, to this year's Sam. Yes yeah, so it was with um, Gideon Levi who uh, I think he grew up in Palestine he's from that kind of part of the world and um, he was he was talking about additive in production and um, he was one of those guys who 20 years ago was thinking that way really early on and he was being you know laughed at people were saying it, you know, it's not going to be that technology um, and he told the story of how um, he'd opened the research centre in 1997 in I forgot which part of Switzerland but in Switzerland and um, he told us that he was talking about production with a um, um, with some researchers at ETH Zurich um, and, and they again laughed at the notion they, they kind of took apart and they broke it like a little piece of glass and said it couldn't be done and fast forward 20 years they actually oversee the operations of that research department um, that Gideon launched in, in the 90s and he was talking Todd was putting questions to him like he, Gideon had worked with um, electrical discharge machine and, um, before he kind of came into additive and that technology um, took 25 years to become commonly used in kind of manufacturing settings and we're about 25 years in with additive so you're saying you know why isn't additive there yet and Gideon's reply was that they weren't directly comparable um, and he's not the first person to kind of make a link with 2D printing Mm. but his point around that I think was quite unique he mentioned that that was invented in I think it's the 15th century Um, but many people around in that age were literally illiterate um, and so there's kind of no use for it. Um, and he said his comparison was today, you know, we've got the technology, but there are, there are engineers who are, in inverted commas, illiterate to the technology. They don't know how to use it. And so that's kind of holding it back. Um, but he was, you know, he was saying it'll take time. Um, he mentioned that, you know, certain things need to improve. He made a comparison to subtractive um, manufacturing. Uh, and his comparison there was that um, with subtractive, the machinery is dependent on the operator for about 5% of what goes on there, whereas with additive, it's about 30%, and that needs to come right down for these companies to kind of bring it on mm-hmm. and you know, kind of integrate it into their workflows. Mm-hmm. And just to mention again, so Gideon is one of our mm-hmm. nominees in the TCT Hall of Fame, so... Um, you were in the keynote, you, you know, even just just from hearing that, though, you know, you know how eventual these people are. Um, go and cast your vote. I think he, although it's, I think it's the first time he's been nominated, he's been kind of nowhere near the nominations. I think he's 
probably dark horse for it. Maybe um, this is his year. Yeah, I think obviously Phil is right up there as well, and the other guys have all been around the nominations as well. But I think those two are kind of probably the favourites mm-hmm. if we took bets on it, right? Which I'd be open to. But you, you didn't gamble on any of the tables last night. I Sam, didn't. So. I was good. <laughs> um, and the next keynote uh, was from um, Brad Keselowski from Keselowski Advanced Manufacturing. So um, it's interesting because um, he's actually also a driver for Team Penske. So you know, not only is does he know so much about all this um, manufacturing side of things, but he's also actually active in racing the cars themselves. And um, so it was all about just the use of additive manufacturing and other technologies as well in basically making a car win um so he was talking about his love of the technology and how when when he grew up it, it was you know manufacturing and, and car making was also very much in the family and he said that he never really got that gene of actually going in and knowing how to build things in a car but you know he did get a bit of a thirst for wanting to know more about the technology and things like that so I think he said he held his first additive part for a car when he was like 14 or something like that and so he was introduced to it to it very early on and so he's talking about just how um, everything pretty pretty much any part that that goes into a race car now is only going on to it to to help a team win and how additive manufacturing um, is very much a part of that but I, I did appreciate the fact that he wasn't just he wasn't just coming on and speaking about how 3D print is amazing, it can do this, this and this. He he was very much open to the fact that, yeah, it's an amazing technology, but it's part of a much bigger range of things that, that manufacturers need to consider in order to, to make something win, to, to make it the best it possibly can. So um, I think we're going to look more into um, Kesarski Advanced Savage Manufacturing soon, hopefully for our um, automotive feature. Um, but one thing that I found interesting that I just said was that having additive manufacturing is pretty much like having a factory in your pocket, which is pretty cool really because he was saying there was times where like in racing you you make a part but it's all very very fast paced and you know as we know the fast change around you know you're constantly um, iterating on these things he was talking about this um one time where i think i think it was a change in weather conditions or something they were getting ready for a race i think it was on a sunday morning and it got to the saturday evening and they realized they'd made a part and in these new weather conditions that that part was just not going to be the the best Mm. it possibly could be However, they were able to then redesign it, quickly print it out and get it onto the car for 10 a.m. the next morning, which I just think is so amazing and genuinely shows the power of, of this rapid technology. It was just such a cool application example. And again, I think we'll definitely look more into what these guys are doing because it was a really interesting keynote. And it was just such a... He seemed like such a, a nice, genuine guy as well. He seemed to just have a real love for the technology and a real appreciation of being at an event like this where you do really bounce off, yeah. off other, other users. And, of course, he's been using it for years himself now, but you could tell that he really liked being around and, and they, they soaking in that knowledge from people. So I thought that was also really cool. Yeah, I think with industries like the motor racing one, and you mentioned parts only go on there if they if they help, yeah. you know, help the car to win. and. That really is a sport that's as much about the engineering as it is about mm, the human yeah. behind the wheel. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a natural home for additive technology when you think of, you know, the potentials and speed, but also the lightweight and benefits and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, it's no surprise that that industry is really driving it, not so use that terrible pun, um, <laughs> forward. I'm sure we'll use that in the magazine again. We definitely do. <laughs> he also said as well that there's, he only thinks there are 
two things that are going to limit the progression of additive manufacturing and one of them is something that everybody says but it is so true it's your imagination you know what do you actually want to do with the technology you know how, how can you achieve that but also just people's willingness to act on that as well you know it's, it's all for and well talking about these technologies and there is a lot of people talking about these technologies but to actually go out and do it is a completely different thing but because there are people like that there are thinking no let's take a chance and actually just see see how this goes that is really what's going to um, progress the industry and I, I just thought that was a really great way to to close that talk and then back to the first day and this is Todd Grimm's keynote and he's always a really great person to kick off um, yeah. a conference. We've had him at TCT so many times and he just really, I'd like to say he woke us all up on that he, first day. He certainly made us think, which was not appreciated for my tiny jet lagged mind. <laughs> um, he was talking um, about um, the fact that um, the reality of, of this technology and its applications or its potential is, is relevant, uh, well, relative rather, um, to each individual person or, or company. And I think um, that kind of feeds into another point you made, which was that um, collaborations keep on coming, which is, you know, a good thing. I touch on it in, in the editor's letter for the next issue. Um, but I think the main thing I want to talk about is um, something that you said, which I think has ruffled a few feathers <laughs> around the, the conference this week. But he he was talking about the word industrial um, in the context of the fact that a few years ago we had the kind of consumer movement, um, which obviously we covered in the, in the last issue with the Leaders of the New School feature. And he was saying that this word industrial, it does catch the attention, but it's becoming overused. Um, he's a direct quote from him was that marketing has got hold of it and he thinks that that's a, a bad thing. Um, I think he... He covers this in um, his column for the next issue, which I think he articulates it better in the written form. Um, but he was making the point that every company is wanting to kind of hit that standard. And through their marketing, if they're not portraying that they're an industrial machine, software, um, materials provider, then nobody's going to be interested. Um, which obviously I can understand. But then from the the other side of it, if you if you keep promising these things and it doesn't quite deliver that standard, then in the long run it isn't any good. Um, and he he's basically saying when somebody um, comes to you and says that their product is industrial and it's certainly something that I'm going to take on board, he says that we should ask, um, how do you measure it? I've done that quite a few times this week actually because you know it is something that I've often thought you know it, it, industrial has almost replaced other words in the industry that people have used as like you know to, to really grab attention and yeah it probably has been taken by, by marketing as a, a new buzzword mm-hmm. to use but it is important to ask what people what people's definition is of industrial and, and it is about the machine and what materials you can put on that machine and then and the application things and I think some of the machines that he's probably referring to I think we we have seen them more used in, in industrial settings recently so it's it probably is it, it is happening but I mm-hmm. don't think everyone can really put that industrial label um, on themselves and it, it's it goes back to something that um that brad actually said in his um keynote which was um you know it only takes you know bad news kind of travels much quicker than, than good news does yeah. and 
I think why it's important that people don't put labels on the technology that aren't necessarily true is that, you know, someone could buy that, you know, a, a technology that's labeled as industrial and then think, oh, okay, this is what it does and can come completely disenfranchised. And then it only takes them to go pass it on to another person who then goes, okay, well, never mind, 3D printing must be no good then. So I, I think it is important to, to get that messaging right and to make sure we're not putting labels on things that aren't necessarily true. Yeah, I spoke to somebody, well, I was in a, I can't remember where it was, but they made the point that if um, if somebody who's doing their kind of their final you know their final big project well um, during their studies mm-hmm. and they, they use a 3D printer and it doesn't work it fails on them and they miss their deadline they're going to be scared of that machine for life mm-hmm. and if they're under the illusion that it's going to work and then it doesn't you know it does kind of scar people and put them off and I think to go back to Todd he's he has the best intentions when he you know he kind of offers these thoughts up he's not he's not dissing the industry he loves the industry he loves the technology but he he is I think more and more kind of trying to rein the industry in he's obviously been in the industry for a while he's got he knows the stuff with the technology but his, his background is in marketing so he knows what he's talking about there he can he can see things that maybe um, other people haven't quite seen yet and I hadn't really thought about everyone using industrial and the, and the potential negative ramifications of like it's easy to just kind of take things at face value and think well the materials are getting better so you know um these these machines are becoming more industrial but then you know things have to be keeping up with each other i've heard people talking about how the software's holding about this week there's um you know brian at like has mentioned the software but i think the materials as well um he also brought up and then obviously if the hardware's not up to it then none of it's possible they all kind of need each other so they all need to be up to an industrial inverted commas standard mm-hmm. which kind of segues nicely onto a few launches that we can actually <laughs> talk about today because there's been um, a few surprising launches on the hardware side but also on the software side and i'll just quickly run down a, a new company um Dendrite, so they are um, a software company, um, and they've been pretty much working in stealth mode for like the last three years or so. Um, and they've finally launched their their product at AMLT. I think they had a bit of a soft launch at another event recently, but they've launched the the additive side of it today. Um, but they were pretty much saying that they're at a point in time where they think that innovations in hardware have outpaced software. And it's a question that we ask a lot of people. You know, do do you think that? Um, software hardware materials are kind of all in sync together and a lot of time people are saying no so these are trying to tackle the the software side so i'm going to try and explain this as best as i possibly can um but what they're describing is um it's the first um fully gpu native geometry engine and they're saying it's a major milestone in cab cam development and as i said the official launch um, at amog with also a dendrite additive toolkit this is going to be actually the first customer facing application built on this um dendrite um, kernel designed to improve the productivity for 3D printing technicians. Now, I am not hands-on with 3D 3D software. Mm -hmm. I will admit that now. Um, However, I did go to the the launch event and just from being in quite a crowded room of people when the team were giving um, their demo, their team, by the way, which is made of a load of mathematicians, uh, engineers and people that that have been in this industry for, for quite some time from really, you know, big names in the industry as well. Um, they were given this, this demo and from the arts, 
yeah, you're right, you're right. And <laughs> I thought, okay, that they're definitely onto something here. And there was, I saw there's a lot of people in their training sessions and things like that as well. So it's definitely something that I think the industry is quite excited about. And as I said, this is the first product they're launching off the back of that. So I'm sure we'll hear more um, from them very, very soon. Um, and then another one that's kind of on the sort of software hardware mix of things is um, Rise's Smart Spaces. So Rise, um, you know, the company that have got um, the the Rise One 3D Print and then the um, Rise Color Printer as well. Um, so they launched um, this Smart Spaces initiative, which kind of builds on a technology they've already spoken about before, which is the augmented parts and adding this sort of intelligence and embedded functionality into parts. So it's all about this um as a lot of people talk about this end-to-end digital thread and connecting parts all the way from the um design process all the way to when it's actually used so being able to embed things like qr codes that feature information that you could use in maybe a vr environment or maybe it's got information so that the engineer knows how to assemble a part and things like that but um it's all about just making sure that a part is connected to a company's entire digital I'm going to say a horrible word now, ecosystem. Um, <laughs> now that it's been on the camera yes. lately. So. <laughs> um, talk a lot about mixing their physical and also the digital side of things as well. So that's that's been another um, big launch this week. Um, but perhaps some of the bigger launches have been, first of all, from Stratasys, mm-hmm. which we know is a company, one of the biggest companies in the industry. For over 30 years, they're focused on um, FDM, and also Polyjet Systems too. And that surprises all with um, the commercial launch of a new stereolithography system. So it's called the V650 Flex. And apparently it's based on um, technology that they've been using in-house within Stratasys Direct Manufacturing. So um, I went to visit um, Stratasys Direct Manufacturing a few years ago now and I remember being quite surprised thinking, hang on, Stratasys don't do SLA. Why are there so many SLA systems here? But they... Of working on their own that they use internally and now they've realised actually this is really good we're ready to commercialise this now and actually put it out there on the market so it's quite um, it, it, it's very much looks like an R&D style system mm. um, so it's not like it's not as pretty as a lot of other strategies machines um, but at the end of the day it's there for real engineering purposes and they think it is going to be great for things like you know the casting applications and just it's quite a large machine as well so things like that so just you know these um, really high detailed um, engineering part yeah I think it's a good way for um, the company to kind of keep hold of customers if you think that people going through Stratus direct manufacturing getting parts in SLA, for some of them, I'm, I'm not spoken to them about it, but I'm sure that some of them get to a point where they think, oh, we'd like to bring this technology in-house, but for five years or so, they've not been able to get that from mm-hmm. Stratus, they've probably had to go somewhere else, so Stratus would be losing business that way, so it probably kind of protects that, keeps keeps the relationship with these customers going, mm-hmm. allows them to scale up, I think it's quite a... Um, a clever move mm-hmm. and if you want to see a bit more from that we've actually got um, we did a bit of a first look video as well over on our Twitter so you can have a look at that and it's linked to on tctmagazine.com as well um, there's more stereolithography news from another um, another company soon but just for now Stratasys have also launched another thing which was um, back to the FDM technology it builds on the um, F123 series of professional machines it's the F120 so when I first heard about this last week and I was told it was kind of like a, a, a desktop site system I was like I, I didn't really I think I thought it was gonna be a lot smaller than it actually is but I got there and it's actually quite a hefty it's a hefty looking machine but um a bit more stylized than the uh, than the V650 Flex and um, but it does sit atop a desk um it is designed again for these um professionals office based and um, even classroom based as well so those kind of like typical markets for, for that type of technology and um, but they're saying it's been extensively tested um 
And one thing that I found quite interesting about it was that, um, so it's designed for a continuous printing, so you, know, you should be able to run a job for hours and hours. And instead of just having like um, spools of filament attached to the machine, they've actually got these huge filament boxes that you put underneath um, the workspace. And um, it's not on a spool or anything, it's literally just like a box of filament. And apparently um, with that feed, you can have up to 250 hours of printing so it's quite a it, it, it's a lot mm-hmm. um, but I thought that was a, a, a really nice idea and we saw some parts as well over on the show floor and, and they do look pretty impressive and they're quite sizable parts as well so you know some like automotive parts just some general sort of in, industrial um, components things like that but um, a lot of good stuff happening there on this Strassis booth so another company that has launched something on this stereolithography lines this week is Form Labs, who of course we know for stereolithography and more recently the SLS system too. Um, so they have launched their latest generation of 3D printers. These are the Form 3, so building on the Form 2. We've got the Form 3 and the Form 3L, one as the L, three so probably guess is a larger system, but it's based on um, a new type of stereolithography technology, which um, the CEO co-founder Max Zaboski has said he believes they've completely re-engineered their approach to resin 3D printing. So it's called Low Force Stereolithography. Um, it uses um, a flexible tank to basically reduce the, the peel forces um, on, onto a part whilst it's printing. Um, the detail was, was genuinely really, really incredible, as, as people have come to kind of know from, from Form Labs. And it has um, the light processing unit that it uses pretty much... Um, has a really high density like laser spot so it makes sure that it delivers kind of with uniform precision really really accurate for really repeatable parts and for the larger system um, it actually uses two of those um, to, to basically maintain this whole area which was, I was also told means that this means it's also a scalable system so probably not right now but I'm sure that in future they could build this even bigger if they wanted to by just like upping the, the, the laser power on that as well to, to make even bigger build space but anyway it looks like um, a really interesting system there's a lot of people crowded around the booth to find out about that um, which was actually on the third day of the show because they wanted to avoid April Fool's Day <laughs> which I thought was quite quite wise something Stratus didn't do no <laughs> Um, so yeah so they had a lot of people very interested in that system and they've got some really huge parts on the booth as well like some of them even just cases were um, they were saying at times I think it was um it was a company that was designing parts for um, a wheelchair which used to use their systems but they'd have to print so many different parts individually because of course of the small build space but with this new large machine now they can just print it all in one go and it's just oh, away they go they've also got um, a new draft um, resin as well which makes it easier to tear away support so I had a little look and um, when you look at the sports you can see they're very thinly attached to the actual parts so you literally just tear them away and there's, there's barely any markings left from, from where the sports were so that's really cool too because it means that there's not a lot of post-processing that I've got to then go into that once it's printed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to directly segue to a company who's kind of made a similar move in recent months. Um, they obviously had um, a smaller format machine and then brought out a larger one um, for kind of exactly the same sort of reasons, sort of, you know, scaling up production. Um, and they were here... Um, kind of showcasing the Rydell helmet I shouldn't mention it's carbon if you're not guessing um, they were showcasing the Rydell um, American football helmet um, for the first time um, over at AMOG um, they did a session on I think it was the first day um, it then won the advanced um, concept technical award uh, yesterday and yeah so they've been talking about that um, Interestingly, they approached Rydell with this application. They harnessed what they'd learned from the 
Adidas Futurecraft, um, of which I think 100,000 midsoles were produced last year on the L1. They harnessed that, the kind of the lattice structures, went to right down, so I, I think we've got a solution for this problem. If you think about American football, there's a lot of talk at the moment about um, concussion and brain trauma. It's obviously a very um, contact, aggressive sport. Um, and so they, they, what they do is, in, within the software, it's the same material, around seven pieces of the hand. They've come from 20 parts of the lining to seven. The same um, custom designed elastoma, which they'll roll out, um, I think, to other applications um, in the future. Um, and within the software, they just design, kind of generative design, different lattice structures. So at the side of the helmet, it's really tough. Um, you can barely squeeze it, but at the back, it's really soft for kind of comfort. And it's also um, kind of from end to end, it takes um, just, a, just a day to produce a whole thing, to design it, print it. Um, get rid of whatever kind of support or clean you have to do um, and it can be delivered. Um, they're going to be, I think every team so far in the NFL have already had at least one player with a, with a new helmet on their head, um, on the pitch. Um, it'll kind of increase. Rydell have taken orders at the moment. Um, and another thing I should probably mention is that it um, doesn't cost any more. It doesn't um, take any longer to use and it actually weighs half a pound lighter than the original um, radar helmet, which probably when you're running about a field for God knows how many hours they're on it for, um, is you know is quite beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, another company I've sat down this week. Um, I went to the session, sat down with um, Blake Tapel, the CEO, um, was a Centium, um, and they are. I'll run through this quickly. They're a materials company who come have come to shows like AMERG and some of you know the TCT portfolio. Um, full next as well and they've, they've kind of gone through the show floor and they've, they've not entirely been satisfied with the hardware on offer so they've um, in the last 12 months introduced um, high speed extrusion to the market um, which I've seen in action it's really it's quite big it's pretty quick the um, for, for kind of extrusion filament surface finish while it's still on the machine it's pretty good too um, they have these kind of um, motion controls in the machine. It's um, kind of, you think of the big rep machines, quite a similar kind of industrial and in, in mm. um, set up to them to kind of enable this quickness and they're all about speed. Um, interestingly, um, their business model kind of revolves around the reduction of cost on the material side, um, which is kind of a pain point for the entire industry. They were saying that they're prepared to kind of bring the materials down Hopefully, the plan then is to enable their customers, of which there are only about half a dozen at the moment for a beta program, to scale up, um, and then where you know they'll make their money is with purchases of more and more machines. Um, they also um, they did a small survey of which they're hoping to do more, but it's quite good to just get some figures on the screen for their presentation. I think it was um, 114 North American um, manufacturers responded to the whole survey. There were few hundred more that did part of it but um, 35% of them found that materials are too expensive and other taking 42% found that the hardware was um, I think it was around 60% use the technology for jigs and fixtures which is where SM2 was hoping to have its biggest play um, they're, they're really big on that um, they kind of think that that's where they're going to they're gonna make their money mm-hmm. well you can hear more about all of these and um, various new technologies that we've been looking at this week 
possibly in the next issue of TCT Magazine, but look on tctmagazine.com over the next few weeks as well. Um, and I just want to kind of say as well, I do think AMOG is such a different event for, for us to come to. You know, we go to a lot of events, a lot of our own events as well, but it's actually been um, quite nice this week just to be sat and talking to users of the technology, whether it's been in like the, the networking um, dinners of an afternoon or whether it's been, um, you know, in, in these sort of like after show events. It, it's been great to actually just talk to users quite freely about what they're doing um, with, with, with the technology. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty good week. Yeah, I think so too. It's definitely um, it's a, a unique event. You don't get this much um, contact with users of the technology. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting event. The conference sessions, particularly the keynotes, are really good too. Um, and there's a good variety. It's well-balanced. Um, something here for everyone, I would mm-hmm. probably argue. Um, yeah, even the, the really high-tech, high-detailed materials talks are good. Mm-hmm. If a little dull. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, thank you for listening to Additive Insight. Um, I've been Laura Griffiths, this has been Sam Davis, and we'll see you in the next episode. Yep. Bye. See ya.